Welcome to Let's Talk Fleet Risk, a podcast for those who manage drivers and their vehicles and want to reduce road risk in their organisation. In the first quarter of this year, the Driving for Better Business campaign is taking a deeper look at the area of fitness to drive and driver well-being. This month, we've published a revised risk management case study for WJ Group, one of the UK's leading road safety and highway maintenance businesses. With over 650 employees and a fleet of more than 400 vehicles, driver well-being is a big focus for WJ. My guest today is WJ Group's Sustainability Director, Paul Aldridge, and we're going to talk about how WJ mitigates the effects of what is a physically and mentally demanding job role on its staff, especially those who also drive the company vehicles. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Hi, nice to be here. So my, my first question, Paul, is obviously why well-being is, is so important to WJ. Um, as a company, uh, you seem to go further than more most employers. Um, so perhaps you could start by telling us about some of the challenges that your staff and your drivers face as part of their jobs um, and what drives this commitment to their well-being. Yeah, sure. I think well-being is one of those things that is critical, I believe, to to business. It's about looking after the whole person. So we've, we've got health and safety and well-being and they all fit in this group that I believe works really well for the people who work for us. And as a result of that, works well for the company, better for productivity, and it's better for the people who work for us. And what could be wrong with that? So I think in our sort of work, our people have a, a particular face, a lot of hazards. So, you know, we're working in the middle of the road, putting lines down is one of our principal activities with 200 degree materials. So safety is fundamental to what we do. Um, the, the, the obvious hazards are the materials and the vehicle vehicular activity. Um, so it's sort of that, providing that safe space for them is really important. And, and apart from that, I mean, over the last few years, if you think about it, and it's not just in the road workers, it's a lot of people who work in the public realm. There seems to have been increasing levels of abuse that people have to face in the course of their delivery. It always seems strange to me if someone who's been in highways all their life that somebody can sort of feels that they've got the right to shout and swear and abuse the people who work for us. They feel really strange if we worked into their offices and did that to them, but that's what they do to us, unfortunately, and it's it's not good for your general well-being. We also face wider problems, air pollution. You know, the air pollution is uh, is a real big pro- problem for us as a society and our people are out there in it. And also, yeah, by the nature of our work and using vehicles, we contribute to it. There's the physical risks that people face. So, you know, normal things, if anybody's doing a physical activity, there's that musculoskeletal risk. And uh, as I say, the hazards of working with hot materials. So, um, 
some years ago we started looking at this and we do a lot of work with business in the community and we started to look at an idea of uh, he was stealing the title really from what their scheme and it's we think what if your good job was good for you how do we look after the well-being of our people so we looked at that and we divided well-being into sort of several pillars so we've got a physical pillar if physical safety and well-being, your mental well-being, financial well-being, which often gets missed in this sort of thing, and social well-being. And that all fits together in this idea of trying to provide a holistic well-being for, for our people. I, I think that's really important. And I, I like the idea of the pillars because they were so sort of encompassing of all these different elements so um i mean if we drill down into say the the fitness one to start with because you guys are doing a really physically demanding role as, as you mentioned it's a high risk uh, industry so tell us a bit about the impact poor fitness can have on their performance and safety what, what do you do to help them sort of be fitter yeah it, it is strange because obviously a lot of the work that we do and obviously we can't forget people who don't work on the road, but it's a physically demanding job. And actually that brings with it a decent level of fitness. But that said, there's there's lots of manual handling problems. So it's about looking after how people look after lift things properly, normal sorts of things, but obviously the, our manual handling comes with added added issues around the heat of the materials. And then there's, you know, there's a lot of driving involved. That sort of, once again, it's sitting in the wrong place. So one of the big things is designing things so that they're ergonomically as best, as good as they can be. So we design our equipment so that it's fundamentally it's safe, but also it's easy to use. The controls are at the right height. There's there's splash guards in place. There's um, working at height protection. If you're working on the back of back of a vehicle, you're working at height. There's the um, interlocks so that moving parts can't get in the way. And but also one of the big points that we do and we really encourage is we ask our people to contribute to the design of the vehicles that they um, they use. We have something which we call an SOS system, which is a safety observation system, but we use that so that people can communicate with the, with the safety team, with the design team, improvements that they can see that could be made to their vehicles or their working environment, it doesn't have to, it's not all about vehicles, this, that will improve, reduce the risks, improve safety, make them a better able to do their job. And it's not just about the the sort of physical strength of, of the job either, is it? I mean, they're they're out on the roads all day, so you know it can be quite difficult for anyone on the roads during the day uh, and, and working away from sort of an office to maintain 
sort of reasonable diet to stay hydrated that kind of thing do, do you do anything around uh, those issues yes so i think it's that's a really good point and it is traditionally i think i've been in the industry for a very long time and when i first started we didn't think much about these things and we tended to live out of the food that was supplied in the local garage or wherever um and it's difficult as well there's a lot of night work so once again it is quite hard to maintain a good diet i think you know we still as an industry have a problem with this but we try to give advice to people so you know for instance even in our driver's handbook it has a, a section on nutrition we do a lot of work on occupational health so as um, all our employees have, uh, go through occupational um, health medicals. So if you normal people from 20, 21 to 60 have a, a medical every three years, if you're under 21, you have it annually. If you're over 60, you have it annually. And if you have a um, some sort of medical need, then we do that annually as well. And as part of that process, the nurse who comes in is really, really good. She um, she talks to people about the diet and how how it's important. And those th that whole process has helped people pick up early that they might have problems with their health. And, you know, th th this is <laughs> it's a really good thing. Another thing we do is eyesight checks. So we do uh, every six months, everybody who drives a company vehicle has an eyesight check and it's quite remarkable when we first started it was just amazing we sort of do wonder how some of some of our drivers actually got out of the gate but we had lots of um lots of people started wearing glasses but now it's so it works and but once again it's picked helped pick up residual problems where people you you cover one eye and then Read, read a number plate so many meters away and then you cut off the other eye and it has done things like picking up cataracts for people so you know those those sort of things are, are really really useful and it's good for your life just beyond work it's giving some people a safe place to to work should extend beyond that i believe into their sort of whole wellness so you you obviously take this what I think is a really supportive uh, approach with all your operational staff, but you know some of those are going to have to drive your vehicles between jobs as well, and then back again at the end of a grueling shift. And you mentioned earlier that a lot of the work's carried out uh, overnight, mm -hmm. so it's causing min as minimal disruption as possible to to road users. So you know how do you deal with things like fatigue and uh, and ensure that those members of staff are still able to concentrate and and drive safely when they're required to do so i think fatigue is a is a big risk for us and for many other people in our industry or anywhere where you sort of driving vehicles outside of normal times so we do have we have built a fatigue policy which is regularly updated um and we have a set of rules about how people 
get their rest planned properly and don't work too many hours or too many shifts consecutively so that there is adequate time for rest. And, you know, sometimes shifts will run over for all sorts of reasons, plant breakdowns, this, that and the other. Often people end up having to stay on site, not because anything that they've got has gone wrong, but because of something further down the, the cycle. We obviously are finishing trade, so, you know, it could be problem with asphalt plant it could be all sorts of things and these things happen so if people end up working a longer shift then we have to have something in place to make sure that actually they probably aren't going to work the following night because they just pushed that bit too far and it, it's that is a really really important part of what we do and i think it's it's vital to our industry that we understand fatigue and make sure we mitigate the risks so let, let's talk a little bit about mental health now so at driving for better business we've done some work with the suicide prevention charity calm um so we know for instance that 75 percent of all suicides are male uh, and with the number that that equates to it means that roughly every two hours somewhere in the uk a man takes his own life now, I imagine most of your operatives uh, are male, and, and I know you take this very uh, this issue very seriously as well. So talk us through how you support staff on mental health. Yeah, and I think it, it really is a good point. And unfortunately, we have lost Coggle colleagues to have, who have taken their own lives, and I think it's just terrible for all involved. So, so desperately sad for her. We have, many, many years ago, we, we set up um, under the auspices for our safety director, Craig Williams, mental health first aid group. And I suppose perhaps some of that came out of that sort of those tragedies that we've been through. And uh, Craig made it his mission to, to set this up. And we set up a really strong group of mental health first aiders across the across the company, um, led by Craig. And then we began to sort of see other things happening in the industry and things that people were doing. So we, two, three years ago, we um, engaged the services of a of a mental health counsellor and. The results from that have been really quite remarkable. So I'll give you an example. We we do a staff survey every 18 months or so. And we also collect uh, um, information about disability as part of our, our whole processes. One of the, the survey results were, were quite astonishing. So we had 14% of people who worked with us declared a disability. And when you look at that on the face of it, you think that's that that that's potentially we're really worrying. But actually it reflects the national statistics. And also it made us proud of the work we've done. So going back to our counsellor, 
in 2021, um, she conducted 227 sessions. So there was things that involved in that. So well-being check-ins, 110 of those. Management support meetings, teaching managers how to deal with the uh, mental health of their colleagues. She had 257 employee contacts. There were 38 crisis risk assessments and 71 additional meetings. And I don't think that that's because this is a bad place to work. I think that those numbers, as big as they are, reflect what life's like for people in society in general. And we were really, really pleased that we've been able to offer that, that support. It, it spurred us on, we do something called um, red flag training. And it's about supporting you, as many of our staff as we can get to go on this course. So sometimes people don't want to go on a course about mental health and there's no, there's no obligation for them to do so. But it teaches them to sort of look out for their colleagues, see what sort of flags might come up that they're having problems, and just have a chat often helps. Talk, talk amongst yourself, take that, take the, um, I've, lost, I've lost the word in my head, but take the stigma, sorry, out of that mental, mental health and well-being area you know we we all suffer from time to time with doubts and, and mental health problems and just having that time to talk and time to uh, for everybody to see this as as normal and not as something that's uh, that's bad and should be hidden and i think you know going back to your sort of though your original statistics about um, white men being very sort of vulnerable in this area. I think the more that we can do, particularly in organisations like ours, which has that demographic, to overcome that stigma and make it better for people to talk, then the better off we'll all be. And I mean, that sounds like a really, a really good programme. And, and that kind of mental health awareness training uh, where you're sort of learning to pick up signs in others works the other way as well, doesn't it? Because quite often it can make you realise actually you might be a bit more vulnerable than you thought and it might encourage you to, to, to speak up yourself and say, you know, actually I could do with a bit of help. Yeah, and I think, I think the figures I just went through, I think those actually reflect that because... You know, people have reached out and were we not doing this, they wouldn't have had potentially had anywhere to go. So it really, really, I'm sort of, it's one of those things that as an organisation, we're, we're, we're pleased that we've done. And yeah, very definitely, we all have those moments of doubt and we, you know, we most of us manage them well. We have friends who we talk to, we go home and talk to our partners. And, uh, but if we've helped those people struggling go through, that's better. And recognising that this sort of 
is a disability and it's not something that they should cover up. It's something that they do, they we have to help them manage and they have to help themselves manage. Mm. Um, but of course, stress and pressure doesn't just come from the job itself, does it? It can, it can come from outside as well, from the employee's personal life. And again, going back to the fact that your your guys are all in a high-risk industry, you can't afford to let um, sort of personal stresses interfere with their concentration and, and performance as well. So um, do, you, do you do anything around that side of it for support? Yeah, I, I mean, that, that, I think that's, that's the whole point of the sort of well-being program is trying to make it holistic. So, you know, there's the physical and mental side. There's also, of course, financial well-being. I think that's particularly pertinent at the moment with um, the cost of living crisis. And we know that, you know, there's a lot of people out there struggling and it's not just, you know, people on the edge, it's people right the way across society. I was in a meeting earlier, actually, a business community meeting, and they were talking about um, hygiene poverty and the fact that people couldn't afford hygiene products and it was really having a serious, serious effect on them and sometimes their working lives. They couldn't sort of afford to keep themselves clean almost and they were skipping work because they couldn't do that. And... There's all these things. So I think this idea of financial well-being is really important. If you're going back to the driving question, if you're driving down the road and you're, you, your head's full of worries about how you're going to pay your bills, are you actually concentrating on what you're doing? Are you going to spot that person who sort of makes a peculiar movement in front of you or the pedestrian who's waiting to cross the, the the cyclist, the horse rider. Uh, and that sort of financial worry is a real big problem there. So one of the other things we've done is provided um, access to financial advisors for our people so that, you know, if they have got problems, hopefully once again, it's going back if you can catch things earlier you can do it's it's easier to mitigate and so there's that opportunity that we you can do you can we have the financial advisor we also provide schemes where people can get discounts so you know voucher schemes where there's money off shopping if you sign up to various things we do something with something called spectrum health and once again it's little things but those little things help it's marginal gains if you like but it also helps with making your staff feel valued as well that you put all that effort into you know to, to supporting them in this way so i mean you're obviously personally passionate about all these issues and i know you sit on uh, on something called the committee for fairness inclusion and respect in construction um do you want to tell me a little bit about the work you do with that committee um and, and yes. also something that i believe you call social well-being Yes, yeah, so I mean, it's it's fairness, inclusion, and respect in construction. It was set up quite a while ago now, sort of 2013, 2014. Seeker, um, the CITB, and Supply Chain Sustainability School. And what it is, it's about making the industry better for everybody. So it's um, 
better for business, better for diversity. It's about treating everyone fairly, including everybody, and treating with, with, with respect. And who doesn't want that? So I think, you know, it's about being inclusive, being trusting, and being authentic, treating people with equity and compassion. But it's also about discouraging inappropriate behaviour and bullying and things like that. And it's about increasing the diversity of our workforce, looking at... We, it is, construction is a very traditionally male-dominated industry, but it's providing opportunities for people from for, for women, from people from different backgrounds, giving opportunities for people with disability, um, and right the way across the board, trying to improve the industry in that way. And one of the things we know the statistics tell us is actually they, um, the more diverse a company and its culture, the better performing they are. And it, getting that message across to industry. So I'm on the steering committee with a lot of, uh, 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 there's a lot of us on it and it's providing learning materials so that people can see and, and look at that business case for fairness, inclusion, and respect. I think that's really important because it makes your business better. And once again, going back to this well-being thing, it's making the work more inclusive. So everybody's inclusive. You can't run a safe site if everybody's not included. But one of the great things about it is it uses simple language. So it's it introduces the concepts differently. People often shy away from EDNI, equality, diversity, inclusion, because they I don't know, they're worried they look around their, their business or where they work. And actually, you know, we we are predominantly a white male industry. And Perhaps they're worried that people are telling them you can't be like that. And what this message is, we've got to improve. Um, but we're we are where we are. So it's about measuring, measuring our statistics, helping us to help ourselves. We've got a we've got a skill shortage out there. So we want to attract people from every walk of life. And one of the great things about this industry is that sort of social mobility that enables. So you can join. When I died, when I started in the industry, I was standing in the middle of the road with a jackhammer fitting cat size in. I'm now a company director and sit on various bodies that we're describing here. And it's given me that opportunity and it's the, the, the opportunity is out there. Mm. So it takes us into doing things like, you know, working with schools. Um, a couple of years ago, we won an Inspiring Change Award for work we've done with schools on all sorts of things. We talk about the products we make, but we also do road safety campaigns. We're working with the HW Martin, the traffic management contractor, doing some road safety work with the school up in Yorkshire in a few weeks' time. And takes you into places that you would never know, that you would never have thought that you're going to, 
but yet you can put something back into that society. It's it's that idea of that social cohesion and yeah. You mentioned how that sort of leads to um you know good diversity good safety management leads to a sort of better performance so uh, i guess a final question as we as we start to wrap this up we've just published your updated case study um and wj is well known in in the highways industry for its commitment to safety management in all areas of the business and i kind of i, I know you view driver safety and well-being as, as kind of just another area of employee safety that needs to be managed to the same high standards so the, the case study that we we've, we've just published it showed that over a period of 15 months you reduced collisions on the road by 40% and associated costs by 45% um, and there were also significant reductions in fuel use and emissions. And, and this is on top of equally impressive reductions from the previous case study that we'd also published. So I, th I think it really speaks to how healthy and safe staff help drive the business to, to new highs for performance and efficiency. And that that genuine long term commitment from those at the top of a business drives that continuous improvement, doesn't it? Um, you know, how, how important do you think it is for that commitment at the top? Um, so I, I think, yeah, I, I think it's absolutely vital. It, it's about that providing good work where employees do feel valued. You know, they are fairly paid. It's it's something which is really, really important. It gets that interaction between the company and the people. We we should all be part of one team. So it's about giving them good good support to the people who work for us. It's about making our jobs designed better, designed safely, but designed with people's well-being in mind. And that's got to be the first your first priority. As a decent manager, I think you know that our driver behaviour um, scheme, and as you rightly say, it's it's worked incredibly well for us. It's um, based on a carrot, not a, or a stick approach. So you know it, it's it's all based around telematics, but those reductions you quote came came out of that, and it's. You know, we have we 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 rewarding good behaviour. So every month that each of our depots, there's a prize, a hundred pound prize for the best driver, based on the sort of data that's coming out of the telematics scheme, but also fifty pounds for the most improved. And sometimes I'm kind of thinking in my own mind that's really the good prize, and thousand pounds at the end of the year for the for the for the best driver and you know those those prizes the the savings that have been brought the prizes are are um paid for many many times over but it's i think as you rightly point out it's about that trying to look after people as a whole Safety doesn't stop at the site boundary, and well-being certainly doesn't. Mm. Uh, I I think um, it, it's clearly testament to um, the the results that you you know the results that you've seen. It's clearly working for you. Um, 
Paul, thank you so much for being my guest on this episode. Uh, and also thank you for your continued support of Driving for Better Business. But I'd also like to applaud you for everything you're, you're doing on this vital subject of, of well-being. Um, I, I think it's a, a vital area um, and, and you're clearly having a lot of success and and making your 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 staff and your drivers feel extremely valued so uh, as i mentioned we've just published your revised driver risk management case study and uh, there's also a feature article on the work that you're doing around driver health and well-being and some of the things that we've discussed today so i'll put links to both of those uh, in the show notes but uh, paul thank you very much for your time thank you simon If you manage drivers and their vehicles and you face similar issues to those discussed in this podcast, there are links in the show notes to some useful resources on the Driving for Better Business website, and these are all free to access. If you enjoyed the conversation, please don't forget to hit subscribe so you know when the next episode is released, and please also give us a five-star review as this helps us to get up the podcast rankings and makes it more visible to others who might also find it useful. You can follow us, that's Driving for Better Business, on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. And most importantly, please help us to spread the word. All our resources are free for those who manage fleets and their employees who drive for work. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Fleet Risk and I look forward to welcoming you to the next episode. Brought to you by Driving for Better Business.